to the world. This is Super Sunday. I couldn't agree more, but I would add that every Sunday is super because Jesus Christ lives. What we're going to do tonight is take a panoramic view of the cross. Let me tell you what I mean by panoramic. Panoramic means big picture, wide view, an extensive look at. And so what we're going to do is examine the cross of Jesus from a broad angle. A lot of material will be covered by way of overview, okay? Some of it may sound familiar because a couple of years back, we studied the last week of the Lord's life culminating in the crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. And we entitled that, The Week That Changed the World. You might want to jot things down in your Bibles or on a piece of paper, but there will be a lot of helpful information as we look at a panoramic view of the cross. In Luke 9, verse 51, When the time had come for him to be taken, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's Luke 9, 51, and he doesn't reach Jerusalem in the book of Luke until Luke 19 and verse 28. So there's ten chapters of information given as Jesus makes his way to the place where he would be tried and crucified. In John 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What Jesus would do at the cross was voluntary. It was willing. In fact, it was part of the great plan of God. God came down. As we keep looking at the text and some things said about the cross, consider 1 Corinthians 2.2 that Rob just read for us. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus and Him crucified. This is what I've resolved to do, I've determined to do, to know Christ and Him crucified. In John 17, 1, Jesus cries, Father, the hour is come. Jesus lived His life on a divine schedule, a divine timetable. And when you look at John 17, that chapter's events would have been on Thursday before Jesus was taken while in Gethsemane by that angry mob to be tried and crucified. In Galatians 6.14, Paul would say, But God forbid that I should boast, but God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. The cross changes things. It changes our relationship with God 
from lost to saved. It changes everything from defeated to victorious to more than conquerors. As we look at this panoramic view of the cross tonight, one thing you can do is simply write 1 through 7. 1 through 7. And as we begin this study, 1 would represent one Savior. One Savior. When Jesus was born, good tidings of great joy. Christ the Lord has come. Luke 2 and verse 14. One Savior, born to you this day in the city of David, is a Savior, Christ the Lord. Two. Two thieves. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. It's fascinating that we say even now a person is known by the company that they keep and there must have been some glee, some mischief involved in all of this. A man's known by the company that he keeps. Let's take this man who claims to be God's son and put him in the company that he really deserves. Sinners. They had no idea how ironic that ploy was. To crucify him between sinners as he would come on behalf of sinners. Three, three crosses. On that never-to-be-forgotten Friday morning, there would have been three crosses. We tend to emphasize the center cross, the central cross, understandably so. But there were three crosses on that never-to-be-forgotten day. One bore a cross of rebellion. One bore a cross of repentance. Jesus bore a cross of redemption. Every person who has ever walked this earth has borne a cross of rebellion, of repentance, or a cross of redemption. Four. Four wounds at the cross... When Jesus had the nails placed in his hands, one, two. When Jesus had the nails placed in his feet, one foot near the other, one nail through his feet, three wounds. When the soldier came with the spear and thrust the spear into his side, four wounds. Yes, I know that he had the crown of thorns placed on his head and that he was beaten and that he was struck prior to the cross. But think about the wounds. He was wounded for us. Remember the words of Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 6. Number five. Five garments. John 19, 23 through 25. Four garments, including a fifth, a robe. They would divide, the Roman soldiers would among themselves, Christ's garments, but they decided that they would gamble for the robe of Christ. They didn't want to tear it into pieces. 
six, six hours, six hours approximately Jesus hanged on that cross. You can see this in Mark chapter 15, especially verses uh, 23 through 25. From about nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. Matthew 27, 45 through 50. A lot to take in, but six hours on that cross. And the Word of God tells us in Matthew 27, in verses 45 through 50, that from noon to three o'clock, it was dark. More about that shortly. The number seven, one Savior, Acts 4.12, two thieves, three crosses, four wounds, five garments, six hours, seven statements. While Jesus was on the cross, he opened his mouth and spoke seven times. Scripture records those seven statements for us. Let me backtrack with you now and think about events earlier in the week. Sunday prior to the Lord's crucifixion. Sunday could be called a day of acclaim. He rides triumphantly triumphantly into Jerusalem, John chapter 12. Also in John chapter 12, he predicts his own death. Some Greeks come saying, Sir, we would see Jesus, John 12, 21. And Jesus, especially in verses 24 and following, speaks of his impending death. So he's in Jerusalem and he knows that his time is short. Monday. A day of authority. A day of authority on the Monday prior to his crucifixion. Jesus cursed the fig tree. Jesus cleansed the temple. It's good to remember. It shows his authority. His creative power and judgment. It shows his holiness and purity. Tuesday. Tuesday, as you look at the Tuesday prior to his crucifixion, Tuesday would be a day of activity. If you're looking in the Word of God from about Matthew 21 and verse 23 through Matthew chapter 25, there is a lot of information. If just looking at the book of Matthew... He's having, he's to deal with questions and some religious discussions in Matthew 21 and 22. It's Matthew 22 that talks about the great commandment. It's Matthew chapter 23 that pronounces the woes upon those who were hypocrites. It's Matthew 24 that talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming of Christ. It's Matthew 25 that deals with parables concerning the Lord's second coming. You talk about a busy day. But all of this occurred in one day. Wednesday. 
a day of no activity. Think about this, and we've discussed it before, but I'm giving you the panoramic view, so allow me some, some liberty, please. It's as if Jesus got the day off, or took the day off. And knowing as he must have what the rest of the week would hold, what do you think Jesus did? I know this, according to Matthew 26, verses 3 through 5, Luke 22, verses 1 and 2, the enemies of Jesus were very active. Everything was agreed upon concerning Judas betraying Jesus. Everything was being set in motion. But Jesus is spending time with the Father. Thursday. Thursday you might describe as a day of action. You'll remember this statement, I hope, those of you that have been at Westside for some time. I said in that particular series on the week that changed the world, Jesus awoke on Thursday morning to never sleep again until he dies. Thursday is incredibly full. Preparation is made to observe the Passover. The Lord's Supper is instituted. And as we're thinking about the events of the day, you have yet another convoluted discussion by the apostles on who's the greatest. And it's John chapter 13 through 17, John 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. That's what they had been doing, arguing among themselves as to who was the greatest. And the Son of God takes water in a basin and a towel and washes their feet. In a matter of hours, he would go to the cross. Now think about all those other things in John chapters 13 through 17. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In this world you will have tribulation, but rejoice, I have overcome the world. Neither pray I for these alone, but for those who will believe through their word, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may know that you have sent me. Thursday culminates with Gethsemane. Gethsemane. It means olive press. And late Thursday night, early into Friday morning, he prays. The mob comes and takes him away and that leads us to Friday. Friday, a day of agony. On Friday, most of the trials would have occurred 
They were all unjust. The charges were unfair. No defense was allowed to be offered. Their minds were made up. So much so, imagine this, we talk about the wheels of justice turn slowly in our day and time. Imagine going through six trials before nine in the morning. But by nine on Friday morning, the nails have been placed in his hands and feet. And he is crucified. Saturday would be a day of absence. Sunday, a day of appearances. A day of appearances, he arose. Let me backpedal once more. Let me go with you to Thursday night, into Friday. And let me talk about Gethsemane. Let me talk about his trials. And let me talk with you about his words from the cross. Gethsemane. Olive press. This was a place of prayer. It was well known to the disciples of Jesus that he often would go there to pray. Gethsemane, a place of prayer. Gethsemane also is a place. It's a place of pain. A pain. When we talk about Gethsemane, here we really see something of the intense agony that Jesus was going through. The stress and the pressure of knowing what was just around the corner for him. Perhaps you have a place you like to go and pray. And perhaps it's really a go-to place for you when you're undergoing times of pressure and stress and you just need time with God. Third, when you think about Gethsemane as a place, this garden was a place of decision. Adam and Eve had made a terrible decision in one garden... Jesus made the perfect decision in another. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Matthew 26, 39-42 Lastly, Gethsemane was a place of betrayal. Judas is helping lead the mob armed with swords and clubs in the darkness to Jesus. And he betrays Jesus with a kiss. 
ironies of the cross. Look at the trials with me briefly. Six of them in all. Three Jewish, three Roman. The Jewish trials before Annas, Caiaphas, and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. The charge against Jesus in these three trials was blasphemy. This man claims to be God. He cannot be. Therefore, he's guilty of blasphemy. The reasoning would have been impeccable. The reasoning would have been flawless. The reasoning would have been spot on. But he was who he claimed to be. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Interestingly enough, they have determined that Jesus would die. But they want the Romans to do their dirty work. And so the charge changes. It shifts from blasphemy to rebellion and insurrection when the trials before the Romans are held. Pilate, Herod, and Pilate. Three trials. Before Pilate, then Herod, then Pilate again. Remember the conversation between Pilate and Jesus, where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. So he's not rebellious or an insurrectionist. He's not trying to lead some kind of revolt against Rome. He is here to lead men to salvation from sin. You can tell a lot about a person by what they say when death is near. Let's look at the seven words from Christ's lips while he was on the cross. Expression number one, Luke 23, 34. The word of forgiveness. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When Jesus first spoke, I'm sure people were wondering, what's he going to say? Because so many through the years who were crucified undoubtedly protested and said that they were innocent. Others spoke with cursing and railing and ranting. I suspect the soldiers who were involved in the crucifixion of Jesus had never heard a person pray, forgive them, they know not what they do. They had no idea what the next six or so hours would hold. In Luke 23 and verse 43, there are the second words of Jesus. Words of assurance to a dying thief. Today you shall be with me in paradise. When Jesus was on earth, he could forgive sins and make promises because he's, he's the king. God's word tells us how one gets right with God, and we need to respect that. And anyone that would seek to use the thief on the cross as their hope for not having to comply with the will of God is on mighty shaky ground whenever he lived under the Old Testament in the first place. 
Therefore, there is forgiveness to be found in the offering of Jesus. And that forgiveness found in the offering of Jesus gives us assurance even now that it is well with our soul. John 19, verses 26 and 27. The word of compassion. The word of compassion. Jesus, looking down from the cross, sees his mother, Mary, and the disciple whom he loved and says, Woman, behold your son, and son, behold your mother. We tend to think about the excruciating pain physically that Jesus must have been in. That's understandable, but I hasten to add, the Bible does not go into that in detail. But think of the presence of mind. Think of the remarkable presence of mind of our Lord And he's thinking something like this. Mary brought me into this world, and at that point in time, a prophecy was given that it would be as if a sword was going through her own heart. She would see a day in the life of Jesus as if a sword was going through her own heart, and Jesus is thinking about her. And this day and the events that follow are going to be really hard. John, take care of her. And he does. Words of compassion. Because of the compassion of Jesus, we ought to be compassionate people too. Matthew 27 and verse 46. Verse 45 tells us that darkness came upon the earth. It's noon. And shortly after that, verse 46, Jesus says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word of forsakenness. The word of agony. People use the expression a lot, thoughtlessly, my God. The Lord said, my God, my God. And didn't he often say, my Father, my Father? As he bears our sin on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why? I've been around a lot of people through the years, and they wanted to know, God, why? Why has this happened? My God, my God, why have you? The people... I knew that they would reject me. Judas would betray me. I told Peter that he would deny me. But it seems, God, that you, why have you forsaken me? Brothers and sisters and friends, something is happening at the cross at this moment in time that has never fully been comprehended by anyone except God Himself.
I know that God seems to have looked away from His own Son for a while so that God would never have to look away from me and from you even though He should. He was looked away from. And you know what? The agony of that is so excruciating. He cries out, Why have you forsaken me? Because he had always known full, complete fellowship and communion with the Father, had he not. He experienced that for a while so you and I wouldn't have to be forsaken forever in hell. Next, number five, John 19, 28, the word of desire, I thirst. It's a quote from Scripture. Desiring to fulfill the Scripture, he said, I thirst. From Psalm 69, 21. He thirsted for communion and fellowship and the relationship with the Father that he had known. He's God-man, and as God-man, he's bearing our sins. If he were only God, he would not save. If he were only man, he could not save. He relates to us perfectly as a human Yet, He is perfect and He is God. It boggles the mind. He thirsts for God. Do we? More than anything else, do we just want to take Him in? His will, His blessings, His love, His goodness, His holiness. John 19.30 Statement number six, it is finished. It is one word in the original language, Greek, and it may well be the greatest word in all of Scripture. Done. Finished. Paid in full. God's plan for Jesus to come and die is completed. It is finished. A word of victory. Then when you look at Luke 23 and verse 46, the last of the seven statements. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. An Old Testament quotation from Psalm 31 and verse 5. Coming home. A word of trust. Trust. As the events immediately surrounding the cross come to an end, a centurion says... Truly, this man was the Son of God. Matthew 27 and verse 54. The time flies. 
blood. When we think about the cross, we have to think about blood. It takes us back to the Old Testament. The life is in the blood, Leviticus 17 and verse 11. To what the writer of Hebrews would say, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, no forgiveness, Hebrews 9.22. And it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin, Hebrews 10 and verse 4. It is the blood of Jesus that reconciles us to God. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. It is the blood of Jesus that justifies us, Romans 5, verses 9 through 11, being justified by His blood, made right by the blood of Jesus. Washed by the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 and verse 5, or loosed. Cleansed by the blood of Jesus, 1 John 1, 7. We overcome by the blood of Jesus, Revelation 12, 11. Peace is made by the blood of the cross, Colossians 1, 20. Blood. And think about what the blood does. The blood of Jesus ushers in the New Testament. This is the New Testament in my blood, Matthew 26 and verse 28. Think about what the blood of Jesus does. Not just give us a new law, a new testament, the new covenant, this, this way of knowing God's will and being right with Him through Jesus, but the blood of Jesus purchases the church. Acts 20 and verse 28. The people of God, the family of God, those who are part of the body of Christ are made such by the blood of Jesus. Things associated with the blood. The Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 23 through 28. One of the emblems, the fruit of the vine. Children know what it represents. It represents the blood that Jesus gave for us at the cross. And how we have life and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. I want you to know that baptism is associated with the blood of Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And no one can know the blessings of being in Christ without having the blood of Jesus deal with their sin. Have you been baptized into Jesus? No one can truly appreciate the greatness of the cross who stubbornly and obstinately refuses to be baptized. Let us stand and sing.